It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. Marina, New Zealand, good morning to you all. Uh, Friday, uh, heading into uh, a busy weekend, of course, but uh, we've got a lot to get through in the next three hours before uh, we hand over our baton to uh, Mark Stafford. We've got league to begin with. Uh, we're going to talk to uh, former Kiwi great Hugh McGahn, uh, Glenn Curry, who's the race director for the Coast to Coast. Uh, we'll have a chat to him just after 9.30 uh, on uh, all the changes around this year's event and maybe the favourites in both the men's and women's side of things. Ravinda Hunia is uh, with us. Uh, she's, uh, of course, Sky Sport UFC expert, uh, and it's a huge weekend for uh, New Zealanders in particular uh, in the UFC. So uh, we'll catch up with Ravinda uh, just after 10 o'clock. Ross Carl and Patrick McKendry will be on the panel this morning, Louis Herman Watt, uh, and the TAB just before 11 o'clock. And uh, then we'll go to be- Beijing to one of our faves, Lavina Good, uh, who's uh, been working very, very hard. Even New Zealand have been pretty quiet over the last two or three days in terms of our team. Uh, Lavina has been working independently, of course, uh, doing plenty of commentary. So we'll catch up with Lavina and Mick Guerin, of course, uh, about uh, quarter to 12 this morning, and uh, we'll focus in on a really Huge weekend of harness racing, five meetings in all that uh, I just managed to count up. Uh, plenty of other issues as well throughout the morning. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's sermon. Well, we are constantly hearing stories of how the Australians are so grateful and admiring of our relative franchises making sacrifices to compete fully in their competitions. And we're also often hearing of how they just twist the knife every now and then to make it that little bit tougher and to remind us all of who's the boss, big brother or in the latest case, big sister. The Wellington women's phoenix in this tough year of inception, well our winless to this point, on one hand they were celebrating the selection of their captain and goalkeeper into the football ferns, a real elevation, great news for Lily Allfield, but a headache for coach Gemma Lewis. She is not permitted to sign a replacement player to cover as that's not allowed. Uh, not for our team, but if Lily was going to play for the Australian Matildas, that would be just hunky-dory. Mean-spirited, one-sided, draconian, even bizarre. Imagine FIFA letting that rule fly. Just another reason why I love the Wallabies' forlorn hopes every year coming over to Eden Park and Michael Hooper's miserable face come the end of it. And I really do miss Michael Checker. It's those moments I dwell on when I hear about these minor injustices to our athletes in Australia. But it's tribute time too for the big O, the legendary Olsen Philippina, who also was known as the Galloping 
Garbo because of his work as a rubbish collecting runner when he first relocated to Sydney to pursue a professional league dream. What an inspirational Kiwi. Number 529, 10 years in the jersey. Wally Lewis remembers him not too fondly as the man who took him and his kangaroos apart almost single-handedly back in 1985. He's revered too at the Balmain Tigers. The tributes are flowing for an inspirational Pacifica and Māori icon. Gone at just 64. RIP, big man. You were a hero. On to Olsen Filipina. He puts it. He's out of one. Olsen two. He's got runners with Mark Graham. Mark Graham and goes to Olsen Filipina. And he's there. The big man has crashed over and come back alive and puts first points on the board for the Kiwis. Olsen, what happens to you when you put a black and white jumper on? I mean, you grow another six feet and two foot wider. I mean, you just played such good football today. Yeah, well, you know, I don't think I've been doing anything different to what I've been doing in uh, Sydney Reserve, Great for Eastern Suburbs, you know, and uh, I, know, I suppose like everybody else, when you get a chance to play for your country, well, it's great on and uh, tends to bring out that little bit uh, extra in you. Yeah, well, it's very sad news, isn't it, uh, with the passing of uh, Olsen Filipina, regarded as one of the best New Zealand Rugby League players of all time. 50 games in all he played, including 29 test matches, 107 NRL games, mainly for the Tigers, but the Roosters also, and the Bears. We're joining us now to reflect on uh, an amazing career and the life of Olsen Filipina and his former Kiwis and Eastern Suburbs teammate, Hugh McGahn. Huey, good morning to you. Good morning, Ian. Well, you just hear his voice in that little clip that we played, and it would bring back a lot of memories for you. Very sad time for you and uh, his family, of course. Exactly. Um, it, it's uh, it's been a, an emotional ride the last twelve, fifteen hours since we uh, received the news on on Ollie. Um, I actually found out from Dean Bell, uh, who who let me know, and um, from that point on, we. Um, I had discussions with the Mad Butcher. He, the Mad Butcher was the first person who I thought of, given his relationship with Mangere Rugby League, and and the Butcher loved him to death, and they uh, they had a great relationship. I spoke with Peter uh, last night, um, and he's obviously devastated about the, the whole thing as well. And then um, uh, communications with Mark Graham. We we just can't believe it. Um, it's a sad time, uh, a very emotional time, I think, for for a lot of us. I think again, yeah, we're getting to that age now where uh, funerals seem to be the, uh, the the topic of conversations. We we're attending more of those than 21st birthdays and and weddings and and whatever. And and it just really comes home to roost uh, in in regards to relationships that you have with people. Uh, and 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 Nelson was was one of those who everyone had a great relationship with. He um, always had a smile on his face. Uh, he was always happy to, to see some people. He was n- never got overawed or uh, over the top in, in his standing within the game. Um, we all respected him so highly, but he always put himself back in the middle or, or back in the bunch, uh, just being a normal person. And uh, humility was certainly a strong uh, value that um, he held even right through to the end. 
Well, his mother was uh, Samoan, his dad was uh, a Maori. He proudly represented both. Uh, I guess uh, it wasn't very common uh, back uh, in those 80s. Well, not as certainly as common as it now for uh, Pacific Islanders and Maori players to dominate the, the NRL to that point. So uh, a real pioneer in his own right. He certainly was. And, um, and he, he copped the, uh, the brunt of the, uh, the attitude towards foreign players um, in Sydney at the time. Um, um, especially if you were if you weren't white, uh, you, you copped the backlash uh, uh, from being either a dark person, whether you're a Pacific Islander or you're an Aboriginal, um, or you were Lebanese or you're something else playing in the NRL. Um, you, you weren't spared anything by the um, by the public. Uh, those spectators who watch games, uh, it was common that um, there were a lot of verbals thrown from the from the sideline, a lot of racist comments. Um, and uh, he, he copped a, a brunt of it, and, and he helped us get over those, those of us who, who went over after him. And um, uh, even while we were in the, the Kiwi team together, he was always talking about the, the, the type of response that he he received from from the public. And also, which which you don't see nowadays because of um, the way things have advanced, coaches didn't know how to relate to the Pacific Island players or, or players from outside of the the, the Sydney. Um, bubble, they uh, you were treated exactly the same as everyone else, uh, which sounds fair. But if you want relationships, then you have to learn to, to deal with different cultures. and And the coaches didn't know how to handle or speak to to Olsen. Uh, they didn't understand the the problems that he was having given his family background. Um, but he 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 forged through. It never got him down to the point where he was willing to to give up, or he didn't certainly express that to to any of us. And um, uh, and so so he was a pioneer in that area, and and so now the Polynesian players now who who play in whatever sporting competitions around the world, uh, part of the the, the mandate of uh, of all coaches now is to make sure that they have a relationship, they understand the culture of the people that uh, that are coming into their into their um, sector, and uh, and accordingly hopefully get the the best out of them. But unfortunately, the best wasn't able to be gotten out of um, Olsen through his early stages of his club career. Uh, he started at centre, Huey, um, but he also played a lot of footy at 5'8". Uh, I, I, I can see his build now. I mean, he had an amazingly strong uh, build. Uh, you know, he had this, that amazing bump off, but also those uh, silky skills that, that made him an, uh, a playmaker as well. Uh, what, what about on the field in terms of his skills from, from your memory? Well... I think everything we saw on, on television, um, we certainly f- saw firsthand, but we heard the impact that, that he was making uh, physically with, with the opposition. Um, and you heard the talk in the background by some of them, and, and some players didn't want to go near him. They, they kept yelling out to someone else to go and, go and tackle him. They said, I'm not doing it. It's your job to, to do it. And I can just run away from, from Olsen and, and you know, the poor people who had to get in front of him and, and try and tackle him. Um, they felt the brunt of it, um, and as we were running past, we sort of had a little bit of a giggle. Um, but uh, uh, Olsen kept kept his head. He, as I said before, he, he didn't get overawed by the the whole um, situation of of him um, uh, being idolised by those of us in, within the team and and uh, those who knew spectators and Kiwi uh, supporters who knew him back here. He it was just normal to him. Um, he uh, always saw himself as just a, a, another person, always had a smile on his face, 
and again, humility was was at the at the centre of everything that, uh, that that he thought. Um, and he helped everyone else who come into the team just to to be um, part of the team. And and one thing I I I remember personally was at the end of '85 uh, tour of um, Great Britain and and France. Uh, but the the Great Britain section, Mark Graham had to go home because of an injury that uh, he sustained. Mark was the uh, was the tour captain, and Ollie was vice captain. But after Mark left, um, Ollie didn't want to be the captain of the team. He just wanted to be one of the players. And said to Graham Lowe at, at the time, he says, "I don't want to be captain." He said, "Put Huey as, as captain. He's he's the next cab off the rank. I'll let him go, um, but I'll support him. I'll 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 help him transition through and and." the leader of the team and and that's the humility of the of the man he he didn't want to be he didn't want to stand out in front of anyone he didn't want the title he just wanted to be one of the boys uh but uh quietly he was one of the big leaders of our team oh uh, Huey, you, you mentioned 1985 and i think that was probably around about the time that that olsen peaked particularly internationally uh, and that series against australia uh outplaying uh, wally lewis uh, over that three match series even though you lost the series, uh, Olsen's uh, performances were absolutely lauded. Uh, you played alongside him. What, what are your memories of, of that particular series? Oh, it was, it's just a smile on his, his face. Whenever he went through Wally or past Wally, it was a, um, uh, like a badge of honour for him because he, he, he looked at Wally as this great, like most of us did, but he, he was this standout player, um, uh, internationally and even locally, even though he was only playing in the Brisbane comp, um, his uh, reputation from state of origin uh, surpassed anything else. So it was the the joy that uh, Olsen had that we we felt on on the uh, on the field alongside him, and every player felt it uh, with with Olsen, and um, and we we ran off the back of it. He was just so totally dominant, and and it was because he felt comfortable within that. That environment, Graham Lowe made him feel extremely um, uh, part of the team, um, as opposed to other other coaches when he was playing in, in Sydney. Um, hence, why he performed to, to to the levels that he did uh, once he got out of Sydney and came back into into the Kiwi team uh, is because he felt comfortable. Uh, people knew how to talk to him. He knew how to relate to people. People knew how to relate to him, and that showed in his performance. But we, I don't think Sydney really saw the best of Olsen at the club level. Um, as what they did um, internationally be, because of that, that relationship. But he was, he was just always fun to be around. Uh, I, I do have to say, he, he was the tightest bloke on you. He didn't like to, <laughs> um, to give his money away. He, uh, when we were on tour, there was always fines for doing silly things or dumb things or you make mistakes or you turn up late to training. And Ollie was fined all, you know, quite a few times, actually a number of times. Um, but he didn't want to part with his company, so he went. Always went to whenever he got a fine, he always went to uh, the local poker machine or whatever it was to try and win some money to pay off his his fines, and um, uh, did the did the best. And I think he even paid off a couple of other blokes' fines because he, he made a couple of extra dollars on the on the machines. He was uh, he he didn't like to, to part with his money, even though, even if it was food. He'd always be sitting with his hands in his pockets and waiting for someone else to buy him a coffee or buy him. <laughs> Something else, the, uh, but that, everyone was more than happy to do do that with Ollie because he he gave more back to us in in other areas. And we didn't mind paying, paying for a few things for him. Well, mind you, uh, we're told throughout his whole NRL career he continued to work as uh, as a garbage man. You wouldn't see too many players do that these days. 
Um, was that common back in those days to have to supplement? Uh, yes, well, if, even though it was professional, there weren't many players who were pro uh, professional from the point of view that was their full-time job. Um, everyone had part-time jobs or had other jobs because training wasn't as full-time then as what it is now. It was still only a Tuesday, Thursday, and probably a Saturday morning uh, training before games on a, on a Sunday. Um, so we occupied our times by having jobs, and that helped supplement whatever income you, you received. And it probably wasn't until the, the mid or to the late 80s, early 90s, where full-time players started to, to come in. Um, but Olsen, he, he just loved getting, getting outside, and I think he was... He made himself, or he was made to be a garbo, because he needed to lose some weight. He, he he was big, the big island boy going over there, playing at the the levels that were were required of you, and to train at the levels that was required of you, he had to do extra. And so gar the the garbo was a common thing amongst some players. Arthur Beetson, one of the great players of all time, and and also um, our coach uh, in '85 when Olsen came to the Roosters in '85. Uh, Arthur also did uh, the garbage bins for for a little while, and um, but it, it was quite common, and uh, and he loved it that much that he just he just stayed being a garbo well after he he finished playing even to you know only a few months ago when um, uh, when illness uh, set in uh, he was he was still running the the roads or actually I should say he was driving his truck he didn't have to run anymore he was driving a truck it being automated nowadays. So, uh, Hugh, as, as you said, it's been a, a very um, sad and, and reflective time. You've, you've managed to catch up uh, with uh, Sir, Peter, Sir Peter, of course, but I would imagine there'll be a bit of ringing around going um, on amongst um, your, uh, your Kiwi teammates and, and the reminiscences will continue for a long time. But I know it's early days. Uh, he, he basically was Sydney-based. Uh, Sydney uh, but would, would there be, uh, I guess, something planned uh, to remember him on this side of the Tasman? At some point, uh, well, yes. Again, speaking with um, Sir Peter yesterday, that uh, there's thought that they're maybe bringing his body back to be buried back in New Zealand. Uh, but there, I think there's a, a cost that's going to be involved with that. Uh, it's uh, you know they, they aren't rich. They're not a rich family. Um, uh, to to bring him back, I think it's going to set them back a, a few dollars. Um, I'll try getting in contact with his brother. Um, Alfie, who's uh, on the Auckland Council, he's been extremely busy, uh, my understanding, with his family, trying to keep everyone together and uh, keep them updated with, with what's going on. Uh, but in some way, shape or form, uh, there, will, there will be something, uh, talking with Sir Peter, he, he did mention that. Um, and there's also a number of us Kiwis, we get together once every two months or so. Uh, we're having another get-together later on this month, and that's always organised by Dane O'Hara, one of the great players from, from our day. Um, uh, and certainly that day will be, will be spent uh, reminiscing with, uh, with Ollie, uh, having plenty of laughs and, and jokes, and we'll take the mickey out of him. We'll, we'll have him in high regard, but we will take the mickey out of him um, as much <laughs> as we can, but certainly uh, fond memories of him. Um, Massive loss. Uh, so I'm still feeling emotional about it uh, since I heard it uh, yesterday and mm -hmm. talking to a number of blokes. We're all still feeling the same. Um, a, a big loss to, to our sport. Well, Huey, uh, I can hear it in your voice, um, but uh, thanks so much for, for taking the time and providing such a, a great insight onto uh, a bloke that a lot of modern-day uh, league fans uh, can only hear about, they won't see too much of them because uh, they simply missed out on, on a great player and a great era. But uh, thank you for your time. 
uh, and those reflections. Much appreciated. Go well. My pleasure, Ian. Thank you. Cheers. So Hugh McGann there, Kiwi great. Uh, of course, one of his great teammates. Uh, and, uh, you know, just an inspirational player. One of those guys, you know, uh, you say it a lot, uh, but one of those guys that you uh, will always remember, you, you, the big O, Olsen Filipina. Uh, it's a name that you never forget and a style of league that you never forget. So thank you very much to Hugh McGann uh, for that on a, a great Kiwi. So on double eight double three, if you're uh, old enough to remember Olsen Filipina, what are your memories of the big O, Olsen Filipina? Uh, in that uh, great league uh, era, I mean, that was some Kiwi team that he was part of back then and uh, one of the uh, great playmakers for, great inspirational players for. Gee, there were some wonderful players uh, back in that time, Mark Graham, Hugh McGahn himself, uh, a, a whole list of them. So uh, what are your memories of uh, Olsen Filipina? Um, and also uh, on the earlier subject about uh, our poor uh, women's Phoenix team, they can't replace their goalkeeper. She's been called up to play for us. Uh, she's been playing, called up to play for the football ferns. But because it's New Zealand, uh, the Australian competition won't allow her to be replaced. If she was to play for Australia, sure, they'll replace her any day of the week. Uh, so in that, in that regard, what, what's your favourite victory over Australia, just to make you feel better? I mentioned Eden Park, the Wallabies. What's your favourite one-off victory over Australia that gives you the greatest satisfaction? When Australia feel good about themselves, what do you remember to make you sir, make yourself feel better as a New Zealand sports fan? It's 9.24 here on SENZ. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. A number of texts coming in already on a number of subjects we've asked you about. Uh, surely they have a replace, replacement keeper in the squad. If not, then why not? Well, yes, they do. Uh, also very inexperienced. But having said that, if uh, she was to go down injured at some stage, um, and couldn't play or had to be replaced, they have to replace off the bench, and they've got no other goalkeeping cover. They simply haven't. So they might have to go two to three to four games without Lily Oldfield um, while she's on, uh, white, uh, white, not white firm duty, football firm duty. Uh, so, you know, they, they need re- a specialist cover. They're not allowed to get it. Uh, that's the issue. Uh, I think it's Simon. That, that's the issue. But uh, they do have one replacement cover, but that's not enough. Uh, you've got to have two keepers uh, in any squad, specialist keepers. Um, All Blacks versus Wallabies, 96 at Athletic Park, first All Black game, um, and favourite All Blacks team, that's from Stefan. Vaughan has said, both league, but either of the 2008 uh, Rugby League World Cup final or the 24-0 Tri-Nations final, uh, that's from Vaughan. Goose has come in with the best uh, victory over Australia was the All Blacks at Suncorp in about 2014 when we're down and Cooper didn't uh, kick to touch. We scored, Colin Slade kicked the goal to win. Um, and the Aussie coach thought they had one, so left the box early only to find out they'd lost. I was at the ground, and the feeling was amazing after copping it from the Aussie supporters uh, throughout the game. Uh, and a great memory, too, from Barry coming in. Um, I remember a front-page ra- front photo in the 8 o'clock paper of Olsen's mum brandishing an umbrella with the headline aimed at the Aussies, You Leave My Boy Alone. R.I.P. R.I.P. Great man. What uh, a, a great... Memory, Barry. Thank you very much for that. Um, plenty more to read out shortly. It is 9.31 now here on SENZ in News Time. It 
A special anniversary for New Zealand's most famous endurance race, one in the world's most endurance, famous endurance races, the Coast to Coast, uh, celebrating its 40th anniversary this weekend. Uh, this year's event is different to any other, though with uh, the threat of COVID and some wild South Island weather making things interesting for uh, the man in charge, uh, the race director, Glenn Curry, who joins us now. Glenn, uh, thanks very much for your time. I'm just uh, sort of thinking here, uh, 40 years, that's a lot of pain a lot of suffering, uh, uh, a lot of exertion for a lot of people to to look back on over that period of time. Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? It's um, yeah, there've been a lot of people through this course. So, and um, I think one of the amazing things is, is over that forty years, there's very little changed. I'm sitting at Klondike Corner in the middle of Arthur's Pass now, and it's probably very similar to what it was forty years ago. You know? Yeah, I was just reading a little bit about it um, last night, actually. Uh, Robin Judkins, of course, of course, started I think with about eleven mates back in 1982, and then. It's just uh, built from that. But one of the factors that, that you just brought out is that it really it hasn't altered that much in terms of of, of its pathway. No, it, um, a slight change a couple of years ago for the final cycle, same distance, but with just a um, different finishing uh, destination. But other than that, the course has pretty much remained the same. So, yeah, kind of cool, really. Right, like, let's look at the, this weekend. Now, you've had to make changes for obvious reasons, like all sport Um Tell us, tell us uh, how different it's going to be this time around. Yeah, so we have, um, we sort of have two events, the two-day and the um, longest day or the one-day. And um, so we have, uh, unfortunately, had to cancel the two-day just due to, you know, having numbers of up to around 5,000 in there and just not being able to meet the um, requirements. So we are just operating the one-day this year, um, and we're doing that in pods of 50. So we've really just had to restructure the whole race so that we can make it happen to um, meet requirements, I suppose. So how do you, you, you um, establish those pods? Do you do it in terms of experience, history in the race, etc.? I mean, you, you've got a group of favourites, etc. Are they going to be in the same pod? Yeah, correct. So we have categories. So we basically have an elite division, which I suppose, um, as, a, as the professionals are supposed to, they'll be in a pod. And then we basically have our age categories. So we've got open, veterans, etc. And that, um, they actually worked out quite nicely into pods of 50 along those lines. Okay, so let's look at uh, the weather forecast because it's been well documented of late. They've had a lot of rain in the region. Uh, some more uh, may be expected over the weekend as well. So uh, how's the course looking in terms of those conditions? Yeah, so that's thrown a few challenges uh, this week for us as well. I mean, Arthur's Pass had 26 days of no rain and it seems to be all coming in the last eight days, which is um, not ideal from our end. But um, we're currently sitting here in sunshine and uh, the mountain run is looking... Um, like we'll be able to get over there. We'll make a final decision on that at 5 o'clock. We had to make a course adjustment this morning um, and remove um, the 70-kilometre Waimakariri Gorge. Um, it's been in flood for basically a week now and um, just won't drop um, Won't drop by the time, of, um, in time, time for race day, basically, to a level that we can manage it safely. So we are looking at an alternate course now of using the lower Waimakariri. And, um, yeah, so had to tweak a few things there. So definitely keeping us on our toes, really. One of the sad things about it, and a lot, not a lot of people uh, realise this, uh, of, of course, is, uh, Glenn, because uh, you're actually, as a result of this, you, you do have a, a little bit of, of uh, financial benefit which you pass back to the local communities. Uh, sadly, that probably won't eventuate to a great extent this year. 
Yeah, that's a real shame, and it's yeah, it's one, it's part of the coast really, as all the local communities are involved in fundraising around it. So there's probably over 150 thousand dollars going to communities such as the Lions and local schools, etc., from the west coast to the east coast. And unfortunately, just due to gatherings, etc., we can't have them operating. So it's a real shame, and they actually bring a real buzz to the event. So without them and all the kids that are involved with it, etc., it is it's going to feel a little bit different, which is a shame. But we just really want to have an event and have a race. So we've had to pull out all the stops, I suppose. So the various stations along the way that uh, traditionally were, were, you know, were points of, of gathering and points of reference, etc., um, have they changed? And what, what are the kind of protocols around those particular gathering points or, or stops? Yeah, so we have transition areas right through the, um, yeah, over the entire course. Um, so they, you know, when they change disciplines, they basically come into a transition area. Uh, the support crew in the event has been a major part. It's actually just as much fun being a support crew as a um, race. They're quite engaged in it. Um, so we had to make a change where they are self-supported, these transition areas. So the athletes are going to have to look after themselves in transition and the um, support crews can't actually enter that area. So that will change things somewhat. So And it could change the dynamic of the race, actually, in terms of um, athletes actually having to come in and manage their own gear. You know, like historically you'd have supporters putting shoes on, et cetera, um, helping you into kayaks, et cetera. And now it's, um, yeah, they're going to have to manage themselves. So it will, it will change the dynamic slightly. And, of course, the finish, which uh, was massive, uh, you know, very, very popular for massive crowds to, uh, to, to congregate around the finish to welcome all these, uh, these athletes home. Uh, what will that look like? Yeah, again, it's, I suppose it's, uh, it's going to be the sad state of COVID. You know, we can have up to 10,000 people on the finish line and the Christchurch public just love the event and get out and support it. And, yeah, we're, you know, we're usually probably advertising this time of year, get down and have a look, you know, we'd love to see you. And um, we're actually doing the opposite and saying, you know, like, um, it's not, you know, we basically can't have people congregate at the finish, but um, we are promoting there's um, 70 kilometres of straight road prior to that finish line that we'd love the Christchurch public to get out on and just, um, you know, spread mm-hmm. out and cheer, cheer these cyclists on. It'd be awesome for them to come out and make it, you know, make it special, but since they're not going to have that same finish line buzz. So uh, if, you, uh, if I was to ring you now or someone was to ask you now, where would be, um, if I was looking for me and my family, um, you know, uh, to come and support uh, what areas of, of Christchurch, uh, perhaps, would you suggest that we, we go to? Yeah, well, I think there'll be really exciting viewing now on the Plan B course. So if um, you look up your maps and look at Klondike Corner to um, Thompson's Road or the Willows on the Waimakariri, the, the athletes will be cycling around 115 k's along that road. And there's some beautiful spots along there for a picnic. And, um, you know, they'll be coming through there midday, mid-morning tomorrow. And it'll be awesome for um, as many people to get out along that stretch of road and just cheer these athletes on. I mean, they'll all be a bit devastated about the course change. So they'll really appreciate it. The more people out there cheering and, um, you know, giving them that sort of Tour de France feel, I suppose, would be really special. So that would be probably the ideal section to catch some of these, you know, and these guys are amazing athletes so and some of the top in the world. So it's a great opportunity to see them in action. OK, on that subject, uh, we'll look at uh, both sides uh, of uh, the Legend men's and women's. Women's, of course, uh, Alina Usher is uh, back. Um, uh, she didn't uh, win the title, of course, last year. She's not the defending champ, but she's had a great history in it. Very determined uh, to do something on this special occasion, being the 40th. How do you see the women's race? Yeah, I mean, Alina's, you know, you just can't write her off, and all the um, other women in that race will know that, you know, like, she's that good, and she will have a good race, it's just whether the other athletes can have a better race than her, you know, and so she's done it, this is her 17th event, and I was yarning to her last night, and I just said, what, what is it? And she goes, I'm just still learning, she still thinks she's improving, so she's like, the day that I don't feel like I'm improving or can't go any better, then I won't turn up, so... 
17 years and she still thinks she's getting better, so that's amazing. Um, our Simone Meyer, who's won at um, our last year's champion, she's back. Uh, incredible athlete, again, just super determined, so she'll be a force. And then the depth of the women's is actually, there's, there's 10 women deep, basically, that could all be in the top three if they're, um, they're phenomenal. Like the New Zealand adventure racing, you know, female adventure racing scene is just phenomenal. So um, there's, mm. there's names like Buckenbird, Eddie, etc., that could all, all be in that top three. So it's um, pretty exciting. We had a chat yesterday to uh, Dougal Allen, who was, I won't say uh, confident, I think he was pretty bullish about his uh, ability to, um, to to be the... He won the event last year. Um, he's just, he's, you know, I mean, he's won a New Zealand strong, it's the strongest time trial cyclist, you know, on the course. So, But again, there's um, Sam Manson, who's just been, you know, chewing at the bit and been bridesmaid so many times, and he'll just be throwing everything at it. You know he's just going to give it, you know, he'll, he'll give it everything. So... Um, Ryan Kizanowski from Christchurch. Um, there's Bobby Dean from the North Island who, who's just running like an absolute machine. So, um, but yeah, I mean, Dougal's, Dougal's definitely favourite on paper. Sam Manson, Ryan Kizanowski, um, there's Sam Goodall. There's, there, again, there's plenty of depth. So I think, um, you know, you'd have to say Manson and Dougal are probably, probably favourites for first and second. But then, you know, it's, it's a whole big long race of um, names beyond that, really. Uh-huh. Hey, Glenn, can I congratulate you actually on behalf of sports lovers around the country because you have managed uh, where a lot of sports have just had to say, no, we can't do it. You've managed to find a way. So uh, congratulations on that, and uh, we all wish you all the best for a successful uh, event over the weekend. Hope it goes well. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that, Smithy, but it might be Sunday. You can congratulate me on Sunday, but um, you appreciate that. And I look forward to seeing you on the start line for the 41st one. That'd be nice. That would be nice. At this point, um, I'm a little bit around about a hundred to one outsider. But hey, um, that's outsider. I could I could be tempted. Is there money in it? <laughs> yeah, there's money, mate. Yeah, yeah. Probably not like your salary, but it'll you know. <laughs> yeah, there's a bit of money available. Yeah. Oh man, I tell you what, it's a dream. Uh, it's a dream. Put it that way. <laughs> Glenn's been yeah, great talking to, to you. Yeah. All right, mate. We'd love to see you. Good on you. Cheers, Glenn Curry there, folks. Uh, he is the race director for the Coast to Coast. And as I said, terrific job because uh, when we pick up the paper or we pick it, get onto the internet, the first story we see is can't do it this year, had to call it off. You know, we aren't, uh, but they are. And I reckon that is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, win, lose, or draw, whoever. Uh, the fact that it's happening is a real victory for me. So well done, Glenn, and your crew. 9.43 here on SENZ. Plenty of text coming in on your favourite moments uh, and also a little bit about uh, Olsen Filipina, of course, who passed away in uh, the last day and uh, very, very sad that was. Uh, of course, for all great league fans, uh, savoured many Bledisloe Cup wins uh, by the ABs on both sides of the Tasman. However, the best victory uh, against Aussie for me was the 1992 Cricket World Cup opening match at uh, Eden Park. A real sensational Kiwi win. Yep, Peter, uh, the credit. I loved it. The country got on board after that. That was a great memory, you're sure, uh, for sure. Kia ora, Smithy. I played reserves for a league club called Manly Cove Rebels on the northern beaches in Sydney in the early 2000s. Olsen coached the Premier side. Such a great team man around the club, very friendly and always approachable to have a good yarn. Never forget uh, the game Kiwis uh, where he was all, uh, all over, literally, uh, the king, Wally Lewis. That's uh, from Shannon. Thanks for that to Shannon. Uh, Chris has said other famous sporting rubbish men, Frank Bunce, Aaron Hopper, no longer with us, uh, Aaron Hopper, of course. Um, Chris, uh, thanks very much for that. Uh, Favourite memory, says Justin, uh, favourite victory of Australia for me would be the 91 league test in in Melbourne. McCracken try in the corner was awesome. Thanks, uh, Justin, for that. 
Uh, and Mark has come in and he has agreed with Peter the 1992 Cricket World Cup match against Australia. I remember watching as an 11-year-old, being glued to the screen, in my opinion, the greatest game of cricket I've ever seen. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for that memory. Uh, fantastic uh, that uh, you've all come in with those. Keep them coming in, double eight, double three. Uh, to, uh, it just fired me up this morning because uh, of the fact that um, our uh, women's Phoenix team, uh, because of the rules, are not allowed to replace not allowed to replace their goalkeeper who has been uh, elevated to play for the Football Ferns. Uh, but had she gone to play for the Matildas, wouldn't be a problem at all. So you can replace someone going to play in, uh, for the Matildas uh, from an Australian competition, but you can't replace uh, someone going to play for New Zealand out of the same competition. So Aussies get it their way there. Don't like that. Absolutely don't like that. Made me a bit fired up. So I thought, um, first thing at first, and I thought it was Michael Hooper and his miserable face every time that we play at Eden Park. Um, loved that interview. And also Michael Checker. I uh, used to like uh, that interview as well because uh, <coughs> he was steaming. He was always steaming when he came over um, to answer the questions, and it was a beautiful thing. It's 9.51 here on SENZ. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when the whole Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. It's been an awful week. Very, very poor, in fact. Uh, need a jolly good uh, slap over the wrist or uh, an uppercut to improve my performance because uh, uh, the Phoenix, uh, they went down to the Sydney Kings last night. Uh, that didn't help at all. And the Mariners and uh, MacArthur drew. So we missed out yesterday. So heading into the weekend, we are 8 and 12, which is still not too bad, but we want it to be better. Manchester United to beat Southampton at a buck 53 in the Premier League. Uh, tomorrow, the New Zealand women, the White Ferns to beat India in the first of five one-day internationals at $1.63. Uh, the Phoenix Suns to beat Milwaukee today. Uh, that's uh, NBA, of course, $1.62. And the Melbourne victory uh, to rebound from losing to... Uh, the Phoenix the other night to beat Newcastle at a buck ninety one. That comes home uh, seven dollars seventy two. Yeah, seven dollars seventy two. So uh, good luck with that. Uh, Zade has come in and said, uh, "Hi, Ian Smith. It's me, Zade here. Good morning. Looking forward to the UFC on Sunday. Definitely, definitely my highlight of the weekend. Probably going to put some multi zone on uh, Israel Adesanya, Carlos, and probably Blood Diamond." Might watch a bit of the Winter Olympics with the Kiwis in action, Peter Wright, uh, Peter Michael and Alice Robinson today. And I think it's uh, on Australia playing Sri Lanka tonight in a T20. Uh, what are the odds for that? We'll find out for you, uh, Zade, throughout the morning and let you know. I would imagine Australia, very, very warm favourites. I think maybe as low as about $1.18, $1.19. Uh, so hot favourites to win that. And they've got a, they got a front, don't they, Zade? Uh, now that they got rid of the coach uh, and they've got rid of Justin Langer, so McDonald comes in as the caretaker coach. He wants to perform well because he wants the job full-time. Uh, but the onus now is uh, everyone will be looking at the performance of the Australian cricket team um, in view of the fact that uh, Justin Langer is gone. All eyes on Pat Cummins as well as captain. He's not captain of the small form of the game. That's Aaron Finch. But uh, all those captains, uh, we united and wanting to get rid of Justin Langer. So all eyes on Australian cricket teams for quite some time, I think, uh, until the Justin Langer thing is uh, forgotten, if it ever is, John. So uh, looking forward to that. We're going to be speaking to Ravinda Hunia very shortly uh, because of the fact that it is 
such a big weekend in the UFC, John. So looking forward to that. Uh, yeah, interesting. Uh, and that tribute to uh, Olsen Filipina from Humagan. You're a big league man. Um, what, uh, can you remember any footage or anything of uh, Olsen Filipina as such? No, no, I was gutted as well. I'm uh, yeah, I, My love of rugby league started about 89, 90. So that's just after... Olsen Filipina, but you do know the name, like you grow up knowing the name, and then you, of course, watch the highlights of that uh, 1985 series against the Kangaroos, which what we lost the first two tests by last minute tries to the Kangaroos, and then won the third one at Carlaw Park, 18-0, and it was just a demolition job from Filipina, and I never realised just how physically imposing he was. He had that amazing bump, Smithy, that he'd just bump off defenders, he'd lower his body and just no one could tackle him just from watching the highlights just and then to have the silky skills off the back of that so you know he just seemed like a, a brutally beautiful player to watch Smithy and I'm sure you would have had a lot of memories of him. Absolutely and that era I mean that was that was a great era of New Zealand rugby league and as I said before you know Graham Lowe was out there, Huey McGahn was there, uh, the O'Hara's uh, you know it was just it was just you know great uh, James Lulawai uh, what a player Lulawai was as well. Magnificent. Uh, and right at the heart of the whole deal, Olsen Filipina. It is 10 o'clock here on SCNZ. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. 10.03 here on SENZ and it is a huge weekend for fight fans with Israel Adesanya, Blood Diamond and Carlos Uberg all preparing to step into the octagon at UFC 271 in Houston, Texas. One of the only New Zealand journos to sit down with the last style bender before his middleweight title defence against Robert Whitaker is Sky Sports' Ravinda Hurnia, who we welcome onto the show this morning. Good morning to you, Ravinda. What a weekend you've got coming up looking at the telly. <laughs> Kia ora, Ian. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's an exciting one. It's, um, we don't uh, often see Israel Desunia, um fighting as much as we used to in the past, so yeah, it feels like him fighting on 271 is going to be a real treat. Well, you spoke to him. What were the vibes you were getting from him uh, ahead of this much-awaited rematch with Robert Whitaker on Sunday? I'll tell you what, confident as always and I don't think I've ever spoken to Israel when he's not so uh, the one thing about Israel is he is his biggest cheerleader you know and it's actually something I've admired about him and something you need in a sport like fight sport you know it's a dangerous sport it's a it's a sport where if you don't back yourself you make mistakes so no he's very very confident as always and coming off uh, you know a win against Robert in 2019 in spectacular knockout fashion uh, I don't blame him but um, yeah he says he has a few tricks up his sleeve for this fight I'm not quite sure what he meant by that as he didn't want to disclose too many of his secrets but um yeah, he's looking for the finish again, but we'll, we'll see what happens. I think we're going to see something different this time. Well, he is favourite, there's no doubt about it, but uh, there is uh, a lot of regard, of course, for, for Whitaker, um, who a lot of people say will have made changes himself and is probably a lot uh, a better equipped fighter this time around. Yeah, totally agree. And to be fair, you know, Robert Whitaker before Israel came on the scene, he dominated the middleweight division and it was just a matter of time before he and Israel met in 2019 and 
Robert didn't have the best maybe preparation or come forward into that fight. Um, there was a lot of pressure. There was, you know, a lot of buzz in the media as is when you fight Israel uh, Desunia. So he's saying this time that his, you know, preparation is much better. He's learnt from the first time, not only um, skill-wise, because he's always had the skill to be a great fighter, but psychologically coming in with a much clearer mind, which makes for a dangerous opponent. Well, it does uh, as well, because uh, it seemed apparent that uh, Israel got into his head last time around. So uh, a much quieter approach, I would imagine, a much more reserved approach and and just focusing for Robert Whitaker on the job he has to do rather than the peripheral stuff going on. Yeah, exactly. And that's more to Robert Whitaker's nature from what I've, you know, picked up over the years. I've had the pleasure of speaking to him a couple of times. He's a really nice guy. So when... Fans did see him approach that fight against Israel with this, you know, bad blood type mentality. It was really out of character. So, yeah, so he, you know, he made mistakes in that last fight. But Israel Desonia is the type of fighter that will expose you for that. And when you fight a fighter like Israel, the fight does start well before you step into the octagon. And that's, you know, I think that's a fine art that Israel is, you know, gaining momentum in, in the UFC. We see it with Conor McGregor where his opponents, you know, sometimes are zoned out of the fight before they even step inside that cage. So good on Robert if he's um, able to zone that all out and just concentrate on himself. But the true test will be, uh, you know, the first few seconds when they get into the cage will be the the true test as to seeing um, where he has made improvements. Just a little bit like McGregor, um, when you look at uh, at Asunya and his preparation uh, and then you look at uh, the way he enters the ring, etc. There is a, a real element of the showman about him, and that's part and parcel of, of the way that, that he is. Uh, so I'd imagine we can expect something slightly different, but uh, outlandish on Sunday? Oh, you'd hope so. <laughs> you know, you, you want to see a great fight, but it's, you know, it's, it's the fight game, but it's also an entertainment game, isn't it? And uh, you want to mm. give fans something to remember, and especially um, how I mentioned, we hardly see him fight as regularly as he used to, so you hope that when you do, it's absolute fireworks. In 2019, he made that historical walkout, flipping around and dancing with a hip-hop group. I mean, you, you wouldn't think that someone would even be capable of doing something like that to exert so much energy before a fight, but he did it, you know, and he, he is one to want to set standards in that way. So what he'll do this time, I don't have a clue, but I'm a, I am hoping for fireworks. Well, I can tell you, Ravinda, we all know that he's just signed a massive deal with the UFC, which I, I would imagine uh, puts him right up there as probably one of their biggest stars uh, currently that they have across all the divisions as such. Uh, would, I, I, don't, I haven't seen a figure yet. Would you have any idea, a, a rough ballpark figure, of what he'd be worth to, to Dana White and co? You know what? I don't... I couldn't even imagine what a big figure would be because it's, it, you know, they're dealing with crazy money in the UFC, right? I mean, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. It's it's that crazy. And at the same time, there is an estimate that, well, I think maybe Israel Desson even said himself that it's not as much as perhaps Conor McGregor, that he's just, you know, hasn't hit the Conor McGregor money yet. So it's kind of hard to, to estimate. But, you know, thinking about, if that's the kind of money he's going to be on, he'd be one of the highest paid athletes in New Zealand, perhaps ever. 
if that's too much to say for our New Zealand athletes, I don't know. <laughs> but um, if you're talking wow. of hundreds of millions of dollars, that's, that's pretty much history. So we're talking well in the millions, we're not talking hundreds of thousands here, right? Oh, well into the millions, for sure. Oh, cool. Okay, well, good luck to him, and uh, uh, good luck for him on Sunday. But he's not the only uh, show in town from a Kiwi point of view uh, on Sunday because mm-hmm. Blood Diamond is making his UFC debut. Now, this is a bloke uh, with a name we'll never forget, uh, but he's had a lot more experience uh, than we would imagine as well. What are you expecting uh, with his uh, welterweight bout against uh, Jeremiah Wells? Yeah, I'm expecting him to... I mean, a lot of people want him to do great things, prove his point, prove his worth coming into the UFC's welterweight division. But I think he's going to come in, take his time a little bit and pick his moment. And that's how he is traditionally as a fighter. If you've watched uh, Blood Diamond on the New Zealand circuit, he's actually a really exciting fighter. But once he picks his moments, you know, he's an exciting kickboxer. And once he has his way with you, he does some real unorthodox style of fighting, and that's what makes him so exciting. So I really hope that he's able to get in there, find his moment, and really light up the division and make his stamp on debut. Well, Eugene Behrman, who's uh, the coach uh, at City, uh, City Boxing, uh, says look, he, he feels that he's ahead of where is, uh, Israel was at the same stage of his career. Now, that is something. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, there was a time long before Israel was even, you know, a blimp on the UFC radar that any time you saw Israel or Blood Diamond, they were always together, you know. So they they traveled together, they trained together, they sparred together. Um, And so when Israel finally did make the UFC, my first question was, okay, when is it Blood's turn? Because that's how close I thought they were. Um, in their fighting range and then you see Blood Diamond's always you know like a super guest on the local King of the Ring circuits Um, he's a big name when it comes to a shuriken card our our New Zealand local grassroots cards so it was only a matter of time and and thinking about them coming through um, the beginning stages together and building that foundation together was only a matter of time before Blood got there I think Blood just had a bit of a you know, more twists and turns in his, his journey than Israel did. And that could be down to Israel just being more um, prominent on the entertainment side of things. So it's going to be interesting where blood stacks up on the skill side of things. Well, Carlos Allberg is also fighting in the early preliminary fights. Uh, his first taste of the UFC, uh, UFC didn't go uh, as good as perhaps he would have wanted. What are you expecting from Carlos this time around? Yeah, I'm expecting him to um, practice a little, well, not patience, because I think he did, he fought an absolute brick wall in his his UFC debut, to be honest. He threw absolutely everything at his opponent, and his opponent just did not go down. He was superhuman. But at the same time, there is an art to it. There's an art to, you know, conserving your energy and picking your shots rather than um, going all in and, and blowing yourself out um, too soon, because that's when you start making the mistakes. That's when you aren't thinking as clearly as you you could have and the frustration sets in. So hopefully this time maybe a little bit of discipline uh, in terms of what he's putting out, his work rate, and again, picking his moments and being more clever with the opportunities he gets. Looking forward to all those three fights, but uh, you're a very busy girl at the moment, Ravinda, because you're also doing some <laughs> great stuff working, presenting the Winter Olympics for Sky at the moment, uh, a difficult juggle, juggling act, act because there's a lot, a lot of difference between 
uh, UFC and what you're seeing in all those uh, wonderful Winter Olympics disciplines. What's been the highlight for you so far? Well, I'll tell you what, I, I've been doing the, uh, the graveyard shift on the Winter Olympic Games, so I haven't, um, you know, I'm not on during the day when, when all the Kiwis are on and things like that. So I've been picking up the, the sports at the end of the day, like the speed skating and the luge, which I have found absolutely spectacularly entertaining. It's just, it's so fast, it's so full of adrenaline, and the amount of courage that you would need for these people to just even jump on these, you know, little luges go down these tunnels, you know, up to 130 kilometres per hour, just that alone blows my mind, let alone competing and, and trying not to flip over and things like that. So I think the luge has really um, caught my fancy at the Winter Olympics so far, as you might have seen or, or known. Germany has just done a clean sweep of all the luge um, events. And, yeah, I've just, I've just really enjoyed it. Yeah, you're right, very different to MMA. There's a lot of helmets involved uh, in the Winter Olympics as opposed to what I'm yeah. used to watching, but absolutely loving it. It is, I guess you, when you talk about something like the loser, it's, it is similar to, uh, to, to mixed martial arts, to UFC, because you know, you, there is that element, this huge element of danger that you pretty much as a competitor have to ignore. <laughs> exactly, exactly. There, there is that huge element of danger and you're just nearly, well, in the beginning stages when I was first watching it, every corner that they took, um, you're just like a, holding your breath a little bit, hoping they make it around safely, um, and it's just a race to the finish line, you know, and I suppose you're right when you're thinking about counting down a round in a, in a UFC fight, so to the lose, you're trying to get there um, uh, and make good time and, and things like that. So, yeah, it's just a crashing out that really, um, like I, I, I think I sometimes caught myself closing my eyes in those moments mm. and um, trying to hold my composure when I'm back on camera to, <laughs> to try not to um, lean into mama mode and be professional. <laughs> So we've also already got a gold. Um, I mean, that would have uh, rated its socks off, I would imagine, particularly with all the mm. replays on Sky through uh, Zoe Sadusky Senate. We've uh, we're, we've got uh, other options not too far away, though. Yeah, that's right. I'm I'm still. I feel like it's perfectly planned. You know, we had Zoe right at the beginning, and then we have Nico Porteous towards the end of of the uh, New Zealand team's campaign, which I cannot wait for. I'm. Interested to see with uh, Nico Porteous in the half pipe, you know, when they, him and Zoe both came uh, at 2018, fresh teenagers, you know, hoping to do their best, happy to be taking part and walked away with these bronze medals, you know, but this time they've done so well in the X Games leading up to these games, I feel like there's a little bit more of expectation on them that if they are medal hopefuls, but they are still so young, um, what that kind of pressure will do to them. Zoe's obviously stepped up to... Um, the task, and it'll be interesting to see how how um, Nico does as well. But I'm I'm only hoping for good things for him. I'm expecting great things from him as well. You getting any sleep? Um, not this morning, Smithy. Talking with you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, look, life goes on. You know, the world still keeps turning, even though <laughs> I'm covering the Olympics. But uh, no, I'm I'm sneaking him some hours here and there. <laughs> Good on you, Ravinda. Hey, great talking to you. Uh, love doing it. And uh, I love your enthusiasm and look forward to uh, not only the Winter Olympics, but UFC in the weekend. Uh, massive uh, as far as the Kiwis are concerned. So uh, all the best for that. Hope it goes well all round. Thank you. Thank you, Smithy.
Cheers, Ravinda. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, yeah, ten seventeen here on SENZ. Uh, great review there of or preview of uh, those three fights uh, involving those uh, Kiwi boys. Blood Diamond, Israel Adesanya, and of course uh, Carlos Ulberg in action as well. And uh, that will be worth purchasing, I would imagine. It's uh, time for the panel very shortly, and today it consists of uh, another Sky TV television personality in Ross Carl uh, and Patrick McKendry. Links with Ian Smith on ECNZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Ten twenty-three here on SENZ. Uh, Patrick McKendry uh, will be with us shortly. Uh, Ross Carl is uh, on the end of the phone right now as we speak as uh, part of the panel today. Uh, Ross spoke to uh, Humagan this morning uh, with a wonderful tribute on a league legend uh, that has passed away, Olsen Philippina, at the very young age of sixty-four. Sad loss. Yeah, really sad, isn't it? Uh, he was a little bit before my time in that the 1985 game. I was three years old, but um, all the same, you know, you watch what he did on YouTube and you see the videos and the tributes, and you know, it's quite obvious that he was a special player with a special talent. I think, you know, he's obviously a guy that everyone's talking about as the person who paved the way for Māori Pacifica players. And and when I was watching him run, there were people he reminded me of so much. Guys like Matu Tai from the Bulldogs, or Solomon and Carter, or Nani Lamape that that shorter, stockier, really powerful mm. runner that loves contact in the in the centre of the field. And, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed watching him. He was obviously a, a wonderful player and made such a big impact in a period, I suppose, that was kind of a golden age, wasn't it, when you think of guys like McGann and, you know, Lowe and the Tamity Darling thing and, you know, all of those things that, that happened in that era. Um, he was such a huge part, so it was such a sad loss. Yeah, I was thinking Mark Graham, James Lulawai, Ross, I just... Phenomenal era, as you say. Uh, I'm not sure it's been um, met since that particular era in rugby league. Patrick McKendry is with us also, Pat. Uh, good morning to you. Yeah, just reflecting on the passing of Olsen Philippina, we had uh, Hugh McGann on, uh, and he was quite emotional, actually. So clearly, uh, Philippina, uh, not just on the field, but off the field, uh, struck in accord with New Zealanders. Yeah, g'day, Smithy. Yeah, you're quite right. I, I listened to Huey. Um this morning on your show, and um, yeah, he made a lot of good points, you know, including the fact that Olsen was a trailblazer in many ways uh, in Australia and the NRL. And look, I, I, he hinted at it, but I think it probably, you know, needs to be gone into a wee bit further. He he did struggle, Olsen. Just reading an extract of his um, of his biography uh, this morning, um, he he really did struggle at times over there and. Um, with, with depression, although it was undiagnosed, certainly had some some issues, and yet he, he kept performing week in and week out. And I think the other thing that it highlights um, as we're remembering Olsen is what a great coach Graham Lowe was. You know, back in that um, golden era uh, of, of the mid-'80s when New Zealand, uh, despite its uh, disadvantages, sort of stood toe-to-toe with Australia, Harry got the best out of... Um, all those players that he had, including Olsen and, and the other Pacific Islanders who make, make up such a big and uh, important element of the Kiwis. So, yeah, certainly certainly sad times. A, a special player, definitely, and a, and a very humble one as well. Yeah, he'll be feeling it, actually. He'll be feeling it. I'm just seeing an SENZ uh, Twitter come through, too, from uh, Tony Kemp, uh, headlined by the fact uh, simply he was a pioneer. And as you quite rightly point out, uh, Pat, uh, if you, the deeper you dig, 
uh, about the life of Olsen Filipino. The book's called The Big O. Uh, the more you will realise just how tough it was and how much adversity he met uh, during those times. Uh, doubling up to as a, a rubbish collector, running behind the trucks w- with the bins. Fascinating, absolute fascinating story. Uh, Patrick, uh, also, uh, of course, uh, UFC this weekend, uh, a big weekend for uh, three fighters in particular, and Israel Adesunya uh, is uh, headlining the act. He certainly is, against uh, Robert Whitaker, who he's beaten already in a, in a very dominant uh, performance um, course, Whitaker, now domiciled in Australia, who's New Zealand-born, born in Auckland, uh, up against Israel Adesanya, who's on top of the world in many ways, having just um, signed a very lucrative uh, new deal with the UFC, which I think puts him pretty close to what Conor McGregor's earning, or certainly up in that bracket. Um, but yeah. I, I think uh, this, this event's going to be fascinating in many ways. Adesanya has already said that he wants to sort of dominate Whitaker more than he did last time, and that was a fairly compelling performance, so Whatever you think of Israel Adesanya, um, and there are many opinions around, he, he, you can't deny that he's an entertainer, and uh, he's an absolute uh, craftsman um, on top of his sport uh, when he gets in, in the octagon. So, yeah, it's just going to be fascinating. I'm looking forward to it. Well, it be a big, uh, Ross Calder, I think it would be a big pay-per-view ticket too for Sky, wouldn't it, in terms of the UFC with so much Kiwi interest? A hundred percent. With with Israel, everything goes. You know, anything you put online. Uh, I remember we had him in the rugby broadcast for about ten seconds a couple of years ago. We put that online, and it got millions upon millions of hits. You know, he is such a popular guy. And and Paddy referred to the hot takes that are on. Is he? What I would say is, you know, when I first met him, probably back 2013, 2014, and he was a kickboxer with UFC Dreams. Um, he was sleeping on Mike Ango's couch. You know, trying to make his way along the into the big time, he knew he could do it, and here we are. You know, eight years later, and we're hearing about nine-figure deals. Um, and he, you know, he, he's he's followed through on on his dream, and because he's such a special character and such a, a wonderful striker with such a huge reach and such a good counterpuncher, you know, um, he's just the full full package. And pay-per-view broadcasters, UFC, everyone knows that that's where you've got to be in, in a world where sporting stars, especially in New Zealand, are so understated and don't like to be a big deal. He's kind of completely broken the mould. And, you know, it's mm. been good to watch. And, and underneath it all, my dealings with him, I found him to be a really, really likeable, easygoing guy. You know, he's cocky, yeah. He, he believes in himself, yeah. But at the same time, he's, he's friendly, he's respectful, and, you know, he's good to work with. Uh, it's great to hear that, actually. Uh, it is um, particularly nine figures. That starts to make the old eyeballs go round at, at a decent rate, doesn't it? Nine figures. Goodness me. Uh, it's coming up news time, fellas. If you'll stay with us, uh, that'll be great. We've uh, got a couple of rugby issues to talk to and uh, maybe a little bit of endurance running as well. Uh, here's Emma with uh, the 10.30 edition. Talk, big opinions, the panel. Talk, talk, to me, yeah. Uh, 10.32 here on SCNZ, uh, and we are with Ross Carl and Patrick McKendry this morning, and uh, Patrick, uh, just the bells, just the alarm bells, just starting to ring about the start of uh, Super Rugby Minor Pacifica, uh, are very heavily involved in those uh, alarm bells as well, um, COVID rearing its ugly head within the squad, and uh, their preparation has been tough as it is. 
Yeah, look, it's um, it's probably always going to happen, wasn't it? There's going to be um, scares throughout, isn't isn't there? And, and I, I guess um, no surprise. I do feel sorry for for everyone involved. I guess, you know, especially the players and the the, the coaches uh, in their bubble in Queenstown. Um, you know, trying to do the right thing down there and uh, concentrate on rugby. Uh, for the foreseeable future, um, you know, while this thing's going on, it's, um, oh, mind you, it is, it's, it's hard for all of us, really, in, in many ways. But, um, yeah, it's uh, hopefully um, once this weekend's out of the way, we can we can start the season properly, have a full, and have a full, um, certainly, opening round, um, because there's going to be, you know, so many things to look forward to, I think, you know, including... You know, will there be extra expectation on the Blues this season, given their um, their success in the Super Rugby Australasia? Um, you know, how how the Crusaders are going to go without Richie Moonga? Um, they they tend to go fairly well without him, but certainly they're far more successful with him. Uh, and and someone like Pablo Matera, the superstar signing from Australia, mm. uh, sorry from Argentina, and the Crusaders too. Look, looking forward to seeing how he goes. So. Certainly, um, there's going to be some um, some difficulties uh, over the next three or four weeks, but hopefully, we can start on schedule. Oh, I, th- I think you have to take your hat off to them just the same, Chris Lenderman and Co. Uh, Ross, for uh, you know, I mean, uh, the logistics of of, of having to organise this and put it all together and put protocols around it, which have to be strictly adhered to by a lot of people. Um, we're not just talking about one squad here; we're talking about a lot of people. Uh, under these rules, um, and, it, and it appears at the end of it, we're going to get a comp. Yeah, well, hopefully we do. Uh, I suppose it shows just how ahead of the game Peter Blandis from NRL was when he took everyone in that whole competition to one place and made it work a couple of years ago, you know. And and now, a couple of years later, we're still battling to make these things happen in all these situations, and, and ended up coming up with a last-minute plan They've got it over the line, and you know, hopefully Moana Pacifica get through, and, and we'll see them um, in the first week or so. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's just so difficult. Um, it's difficult for NZR. It's difficult for the players, their families. Um, at Sky, you know, we're constantly chopping and changing to try to keep up. Mm. It's, um, it's, it's, a, it's a real nightmare, and, you know, it's, it's not going away, is not it? We, we're going to have a couple more years of this. And so, in a way, what... NZR have done now, I think they've got to treat as a blueprint for next year and the year after and say, hey, we need to organise this early. We need to come up with plans to be in a certain place to make sure all of this can happen. And yeah, we might have Omicron or whatever the next variant comes through and it might take out a team for a week or it might take out a couple of players for a week or cancel a couple of trainings. But we've got to make sure that we are in this place and maybe we have to forget about crowds. Maybe we have to look at, at another way of doing it for the next couple of years just so we can get this across the line consistently and not be worrying about changing tack all the time. Yeah, it, it is an interesting one. Um, uh, Patrick, uh, aside from all that, I mean, we've almost lost track of the rugby itself, and it's so close. Mm. Uh, who, who are you looking at? Uh, I mean, are, are we looking at an, another Crusader-dominated competition? What about the possibility of the Blues, as you pointed out, after their success? Uh, what what about the other squads? We we kind of have forgotten about the rugby, but haven't we? You're right. Um, look, I'm assuming that Crusaders will be strong again. They they're just so well coached, um, well, and they look so well drilled when they play. Um, and they've got so many great players, obviously. So that's a pretty pretty good formula in itself. Um, yeah, I think the Blues will be there thereabouts, and um, you know 
I do feel sorry for Moana Pacifica. Um, you know, they, they got taught a bit of a lesson in the first preseason game against the Chiefs. Uh, I think everyone expects them to struggle, but, um, you know, how, how much of a, of a lift would it have been to play at, at Mount Smart from the start, and, and especially against the Blues as scheduled in that round one game originally scheduled at Mount Smart Stadium. They would have had a great crowd. It, it would have been a fantastic occasion, and, and I think, you know, they'll probably be the ones who suffer most, I, I would have thought, in, in, in that bubble and playing in front of empty stadiums. Um, so that'll be really difficult for them. But um, certainly I think Crusaders and Blues will be the front runners. Is that the way that you see it, Ross? It's hard to argue with that, really, when you look at the squads um, and the coaching lineups, and uh, they look good. The Blues look good. I think Stan Sullivan is a huge addition for them. Uh, it's going to be really good to see um, Bowden playing um, consistently. Uh, the Crusaders will do what the Crusaders do, but it's hard to imagine one of those two not coming out on top at the end. And saying that, it's always been a close comp for the last four or five years, and those teams will be upset along the way. And, you know, a lack of home advantage um, early on can probably bring a couple of interesting uh, results. Um, but mm. they, on paper, look like the teams. Yeah, I, I totally agree in, in all respects there. But I also also uh, I fancy two or three really big upsets uh, in these first two or three weeks while things get underway and people get adjusted to uh, life uh, differently in a rugby sense. Now, uh, of course, so many things have been uh, called off, gentlemen, over the, the course of the last couple of years. Uh, it's great to see uh, the 40th edition of the Coast to Coast, the one-day event anyway, is uh, going to proceed, uh, Patrick, and, and that is an iconic event in New Zealand, going way back to Robin Judkins in the, in the day, yeah. 1982, oh. I think, yeah. 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 The, mem the memories. Um, I, I actually I was lucky enough to cover it as a as a reporter many years ago, um, which is a which is a fantastic experience um, because you sort of um, you, you get an insight into what brings this event together, and and it's a special one. Um, it, it's a special one for South Islanders in particular, but really for all of New Zealand because it's it's been so popular for so long, and and people travel from all around to to compete in it. Um, so yeah, uh, fingers crossed it it'll, it'll go ahead. Uh, obviously, um, because yeah, I actually have taken part in it many many years ago in a, in a two-day teams um, edition of the race. Uh, so I've I've run over Goat Pass a couple of times, um, which is quite challenging, obviously. And um, once once is uh, practice, and, and the and the other one is as part of the event itself. And and I did the last cycle into Sumner into to a fairly strong northeasterly headwind. So. Yeah, I've I've just got fond memories of that of that event, and I, I hope it continues for a long time. I, I just got to ask you. I mean, not very often you talk to someone who has done it. Um, Pat, uh, what about the mental side of it for you? How often um, during the <laughs> the time that you were doing it did you think uh, to hell with this, to hell with it? Uh, no, look, I, I was pretty fit back then. I was living in Invercargill and training. Um, certainly, I was cycling competitively and doing a little bit of running um but i think you, you sort of when you're younger you're a bit fitter and it sort of gets you through but i was you know w with quite a, a competitive bunch in terms of um train training and trainers so it wasn't too bad um in terms of i do remember though um the uh because there's, there's no there's no track obviously on, on goat pass so you sort of have to go partly by instinct and partly 
remembering the first time you went over. So I mean that that's it's good. It keeps you your your brain occupied, uh, and so you're not always sort of thinking about how how much you're suffering or struggling. So I do remember that before that last cycle ride, I I was quite thirsty, sort of waiting around for my my partner Dave to come off the kayak on the Wymac River, and um, obviously I, I I drank a can of Fanta, which probably wasn't the best thing to do. It, it didn't sit right with me uh, in many ways on, over the next two hours. But um, yeah, it's, it's such a fun event, and I, um, uh, I I guess everyone sort of competes to their own level um, because you're not not necessarily, you know, certainly the guys that I was um, training and racing with, I, I, I wasn't, um, you know, we weren't going to trouble the the uh, podium at all so you sort of compete against yourself more than anything but uh, yeah good times uh, being the athlete uh, that you are Ross Carl did you have you ever uh, thought about have have you ever thought about it um, um, I mean it's here, here we've got one of the I think iconic New Zealand uh, I mean it's world worldwide known I mean iconic uh, New Zealand uh, races events yeah, I haven't thought about it. I'll leave to the super athletes like Pat McKendry and Richie McCaw, um, and I'll, <laughs> I'll watch the coverage on the news, but not really in my game. If I've got a, if I've got a ball or bat in my hand, I'm interested. Um, but no, no, not thought about it, but it is cool. Uh, you kind of really got to respect people who, who do it. And I can only imagine, Patty, is there a sense of euphoria almost as you finish, you know, considering what you've done? Yeah, it, it, euphoria on both days, really. When you come off the run, that's pretty special with the music blasting and, and everyone sort of watching and cheering. That's pretty cool. And, you know, obviously this, the same applies at Sumner, really. So, you know, to, to be able to go um, from one side of the South Island to the other under your own steam, um, that's amazing. Uh, and it's, uh, I think that just adds to the special nature of the event. How long, Pat? Can you remember your quickest time? Oh, look, I think I did the run in about four and a half hours, which, looking back, is quite quick, I think. And um, I think I did the cycle leg, which is 70k in, a, in just a touch over two hours. But, um, you know, I was, I was, as I say, I was quite fit back then, and I was doing a bit of training. So, um, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was a fun weekend. Uh, uh, just uh, something before you go, Ross, too, with the, the Super Rugby uh, kicking in, of course. Uh, it means uh, Sky will be... Uh, ramping up a, a lot of uh, magazine shows and shows uh, around it, of course. So uh, all set to, to kick into gear there. That's right. We've got the breakdown returning, obviously. Uh, slight change this year. The first episode will be on Monday night um, because of clashes with uh, Winter Olympic stuff. But it's going to be going to Sunday night um, from here on in. So people can get their, their fix of rugby, the rap for the weekend, understanding of the talking points and hot takes from JK and, and Jeff it's, and Mills, etc., on a Sunday night. So we're making a bit of a change up there. And then you know, through the week, we'll have other bits and bobs available for you. Our Tattle Rugby Pod will be on, James Parsons, Bryn Hall, myself, um, for a bit more of a, I suppose, a technical look into things and a, and a player's point of view. Um, and then, yeah, as the weeks go on, we'll have podcasts uh, available for people to listen to, including a breakdown podcast, um, an audio pod mm-hmm. from the breakdown, where they'll get into the issues as they happen. So the breakdown can give you what you need throughout the week. Um, and not just on a Sunday night when teams are named on a Thursday and something big's happened. Um, Goldie and uh, JK and Mills and even Jim Kays are going to jump on the blower and put a, uh, a podcast out to give you a bit of insight into what's going on. Sounds great, Ross. Uh, look forward to, uh, to all those ideas coming to fruition, uh, and uh, they'll go down well, I'm sure. And this Rugby Nation, and to you, Pat, uh, thank you very much too for your insight, particularly uh, on the coast-to-coast. Uh, thanks, fellas, for being part of the panel this morning. 
Uh, we'll have another one Monday morning, of course, with plenty of subjects emerging from over the weekend, I'm sure. 10.44 here on SENZ. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. A couple of texts uh, have come in to say, what do your Aussie colleagues think about the fact that we can't have uh, a goalkeeper replacement uh, in the Wellington Phoenix, women's Phoenix team, because uh, our goalkeeper is heading across to play for uh, the football ferns. Uh, we're not allowed to. Uh, they wouldn't care. The answer to that is they wouldn't give the monkeys. Uh, <laughs> they don't care. Uh, they don't care about us, really. Uh, they're happy to have us there so they can beat us. Uh, and here's a really good one. I enjoy this. Uh, this is from Joe. Uh, Joe Butler says, uh, Sad to hear about Olsen. He was a hero for my generation. I grew up playing rugby, yet Olsen was a legend. We even named a body part after him. Uh, so every time we saw someone with big legs, we would say, Check out the Olsens on that guy. A saying we still use today. Fantastic. Real sad day for New Zealand Rugby League, New Zealand Sport and New Zealand. Uh, totally agree with those sentiments, Joe. Thank you for that. Uh, and good news too, uh, we've talked about uh, Ryan Fox through uh, out the morning, uh, leading the tournament with his uh, best score on the European PGA. Uh, so he's in front. So too is Daniel Hillier uh, on the Dimension Data Pro-Am in South Africa. This is the Sunshine Tour. He shot nine under two uh, to have a share of the lead with Sadler from France. So... A good time for golf over this weekend. Looking forward to that. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Well, Louis Herman, what joins us this morning on a busy couple of days for racing, uh, uh, particularly in the thoroughbreds, because uh, they're making up for uh, lost opportunities at Taranaki in Manawatu today, Louis. Yes, Smithy and uh, the Sharks boys have had a good week so far. One got a promotion. The other one nabbed a pretty impressive stakes race yesterday with Cinerama flying at Hastings. Yes. Gee, it was just a brave ride from Maddie Cameron. She jumped with them, and that was the difference. Because if she jumps with them, she can actually produce those sectionals. But the issue is she stands in the barrier because she's silly. But she didn't yesterday. So uh, Alan Sharrick could back it up today. Alhambra lad in one of the best rating 74s going round in Race seven at the Puni, and in race eight, well, he's got the favourite, and you've got to say, on her last start, our Hail Mary is going to absolutely love the 2,000 metres of the Taranaki Cup, and um, she's going to be really hard to stop. Just in that race seven, that rating 74, Smithy, Clado. You know Clado, old Mark Clayton? Mm, he's been around for about oh, somewhere between 100 and 150 years. He is obsessed with this horse, Chase, and he's obviously put his life savings on it because it's moved in from $7 to $6.50. So if um, don't get too concerned about that market move. It's just one guy. Just one guy. Well, yeah, but he's a, an influencing kind of a guy. People listen to him. That's been why he's been around so long. Uh, that's the concerning thing. Hey, look, speaking of influencing the market, Big day for Butcher and Co. tomorrow at Tarapa. The chosen one on that last outing it's attracted a lot of money. Yeah, there's an interesting article that Mickey G's just put in the Herald, uh, Smithy, talking about what the tactics will be for the chosen one to get him to perform second up. Oh, look, at $2.10, that's too short for me. Uh, even though I think he's 
definitely the best horse in the race and definitely more than capable to win. It's just so skinny at $2.10, but they're going to run without blinkers again. And they kept the blinkers off him so they could put him on him for the second start in the Group 1. They got their Group 1. They're reluctant to change the process. So I don't know. Maybe a different result, but the second up stats are concerning. There's a lot of wide open uh, uh, horses that could win this race. And of course, the BCD sprint, we're going to get the match race again on Trevier, Levante. Uh, it's just the Quinn, mm. isn't it? But You'd, you'd, you'd be you'd be brave to tip against Opie and Entrevier, but if there was a mare that can knock her off, clearly it is Levante. Uh, well, that's interesting. Actually, we uh, can't get through to BP, so we can give you a, a bit more time on, on that particular race, uh, Louis. Uh, yeah, we're talking about the BCT uh, Group Sprint uh, on Trivia uh, Levante. If Levante jumps with them, you talked, uh, uh, you know, about the the previous horse uh, jumping with them. Levante jumps. Uh, then uh, Ken Kelso might be uh, having an interview with BP afterwards. Yeah, well, she's figured it out. She does jump now. She jumps with them. Uh, well, the Kelsos have figured her out. She jumps with them. She's a professional racehorse. And look, last start uh, on Trivia had a lot of excuses, including the draw on a day where they were swooping. And Levante got about five lengths of split and uh, could fly afterwards and or fl- flew and put a put a split. And on Trivia just had nowhere to go. So there's excuses there. But again, two dollars versus two dollars fifty. Um, that 50 cents could be the decisive fact that horse to watch over the weekend, Smithy, Espiona, race number seven, I think, at Randwick. Espiona at Randwick, course on Mav in action as well. So, man, massive amounts of interest in uh, the thoroughbred racing over the weekend. Uh, we weren't uh, able to get through uh, to the TAB this morning, but it is a busy uh, option. And look, at uh, go to the website, tab.co.nz. There is a multitude of... Uh, all sorts of options uh, to uh, attract you over the weekend, particularly if you are 18 or over. Uh, we stress that. Uh, all the options particularly through and through racing. Yeah, particularly. <laughs> particularly. <laughs> Hunt Louis. well, Smithy. Hunt well too, Louis. Hunt well too. It's 11 o'clock, time for the news, and Lavina Good, right afterwards, out of Beijing. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. Tonight I'm gonna have myself a real good time. I feel alive. Having a good time. Well, they're having a good time playing some cricket around the country at the moment. I'll give some updates, actually. Uh, we're just uh, crossing over to Beijing shortly to, Javo- uh, to join uh, Lavina Good, of course. Looking forward to that. Uh, there is uh, Plunkett Shield action on down south. 
Um, and uh, Otago uh, playing against Auckland. Auckland are uh, 17 for one after uh, around about five overs. Uh, Glenn Phillips is 13 not out, so uh, he uh, he has an opportunity at some point to, to make his way back into the Black Caps. Innings like this are particularly important to him. Of interest in the Otago side is the debut of one Jacob Cumming. Jacob Cumming, of course, is uh, the eldest son of Craig Cumming, who's a regular contributor to the show, and I have it on very, very good authority. He is a nervous father as we speak, and uh, those of you that also like Hawk Cup action, I uh, can tell you Bay of Plenty batting first against Hawke's Bay, the second defence by Hawke's Bay. Bay of Plenty is 17 for two after 6.2 overs. They elected to bat first, so a couple of cricketing updates there, but uh, more importantly, across the other side of the world in Beijing, uh, the Winter Olympics are going on, and we are now joined by our fave, uh, very busy commentator. It's been quiet on the Kiwi front uh, for the last couple of days, uh, but today we're back in action. Alice Robinson in the Super G, Peter Michael in the 10,000 metre speed skating event. Uh, but Lavina, you've been busy looking at other things and commentating some great spectacles. Mate, the biggest question is why did the Bay Plenty opt to bat first? They should have bowled first, let's be honest. Oh, hey? no. That's the pressing can I question. Can I, can I tell you, it's light drizzle falling in Havelock North, um, So and it's murky, it's murky. Uh, it's a bit Ooh. like Joe Root batting first at the Gabba. It's stupid. <laughs> it's stupid, Lavina. Hey, having having said that, uh, we're more interested in what you're doing. Um, Manda, you've been commentating the cross the cross country. You've been doing how how cool? I have been, mate. I have been. I've been at the um, Zhang Jai Ku uh, venue where the cross country biathlon and the ski jumping's been held. But it's quite a cool venue. It's about 180 kilometres northwest of Beijing. And if you look up and over to the side, you can see a little bit of a snowboard ramp as well. And I was fortunate enough just to catch a little bit of Zoe at the end of her competition. And you know what? All the commentators in New Zealand, um, from New Zealand, but all the commentators around the world, buddy, have all been talking about this kid. And what they talk about is how excited that at 20 years of age they get to see her now and they can just imagine what she's going to be like in eight years' time. So, yeah, she certainly set set the bar and laid down the chapter for, for New Zealand at the start of these games. High hopes for Alice Robinson. Um, she's another good kid from down south. Hey, she's. I went to a fundraiser of hers a, a couple of years ago because she was trying to raise some money to compete overseas and I met her and her family and I thought, we're so lucky in New Zealand to have these kids that we, we try and nurture and give them plenty of opportunities to get overseas and, and they're not in sports that, you know, have um, they're not playing cricket or rugby or, or demanding heaps of attention from Sport New Zealand for finances, but they're still trying to be at the pinnacle of what they're doing. So I think as as Kiwis, the best we can do is try and support these kids on their ventures. And, and they don't have to win at Olympic medals, but the fact that they go to the, the Olympic Winter Games means that they're representing their sport and their family and their region and most of all, their country. So it would be great if we could pick up a couple um, more medals. And I know Zoe's going to be heading back into that big air as well, which the expectation is high. But I think it's the fact that mm. they're representing us on a, on a a stage and a world level that is just such a pinnacle for them and for us as sports fans to support them. You know, it's great that they get there and nothing's better than a medal buddy. But when you see when you see them all decked out in black or you see that silver fern or you hear an anthem, it means so much to us as sports fans, eh? Yeah, well, it does. I, I mean, watching them uh, get medals, seeing them standing on the day, seeing them compete has been uh, quite enlightening for me. And that includes... Um, your boy, Campbell Wright, who you were a great advocate, uh, as he was a late mm. inclusion. Now, 
he was massively uh, pleased with his performance. Probably he rates as one of his best ever at just the right time, and he's got another chance in the 10K tomorrow. He does. I, I'm actually covering the women's today, and I was talking to Steve Rebilliard, one of the commentators yesterday, about Campbell Wright, and he just honestly puts him on a pedestal and has so much praise for this kid, not because he's a Kiwi, nothing to do with that, but the fact that he's just 19 years of age and he's he's competing in a sport that in Norway is more popular than what the NBA is in America, and, and the ratings throughout Europe have been phenomenal with biathlon and will continue to be so, and to think that he, you know, decided to take up shooting in his mid-teens to see what would happen and thought, I'm pretty good at cross-country. I may as well try and see what happens as biathlon as a part of my life. So another success story there for Campbell Wright. And also the fact that the New Zealand Olympic Committee gave him the opportunity to go. They have these cut-off points, hey, Smitty, because you can't send everyone. It's really expensive to send everyone and they have a cut-off point. Mm. So it comes down, you have to come somewhere certain in the world. And and the New Zealand Olympic Committee isn't saying you have to get a medal. We want you to get a medal. You'll own You'll only go if you get a medal. But they're saying to be financially viable for us to be able to justify the funds to send you, you have to be somewhat competitive. And to say that to a 19-year-old kid in biathlon, I mean, that's like telling a 12-year-old kid that he'll be playing for the All Blacks tomorrow. It's almost insane. But he's he's risen above all the challenges and all the adversity that he's faced. And he's, you know, amongst the world's best and is certainly doing us very, very proud and has such a bright future in the sport. And we've seen here at these Olympic Winter Games, the people that are succeeding and doing so well. I mean, there's some young guns out there that are doing tremendously well. But with the cross country, yesterday, today's Johag, the 33-year-old from Norway, won her second gold medal. And she's in the peak and prime of her performance. And, you know, Campbell's only 19 years of age. He's got another three Olympic experiences before he hits his peak and it's something for us all to get excited about in the world of biathlon, which, you know, we've never had that opportunity before in New Zealand. So he's a good kid. He's representing his country. He's he's doing so well. I know he was born in Rotorua but spends a lot of time in Italy training and is very proud Hawara boy. And um, he has the weight of a nation sometimes resting on him when he competes. And it's just great to see these guys doing so well for us. Lavina, Peter Michael at the other end of the age spectrum uh, wasn't that thrilled with his performance in the 1500 metres, but uh, he's in the 10,000 metres tonight, which maybe could suit him just a little bit better, hopefully. Yeah, I had a chat with Glenn Lama. He'll be calling that race, another Kiwi commentator that's over here. And believe me, there's not many of us. <laughs> there's only a couple of the Kiwis out over here representing the international broadcasters to send the voices out. Um, and he was pleased. Uh, I mean, that's such a competitive field for, for him. And this will probably be his last opportunity to represent it at the um, Olympic Winter Games. So the expectation is for him to do better in the in the distance events, which he's, he's built, built for. Um, to put things into perspective, Smitty, the competitors from um, the Netherlands and Germany that compete in the five and 10,000 speed skating, whether it be, you know, the short track or the extended track, they put in probably... 15,000 hours of training a year. So they're training literally 60 hours a week if they can, if not more, in preparation for this. They're, they're basically regarded as professional athletes and they do nothing else but this. And that's impossible for some of our Kiwi athletes. So to get through to the next stage would be fantastic for him, but to be representing the Silver Fern here is good. And it's great for us Kiwis to know exactly who he is and what he's up to and just to be able to be immersed in the Winter Olympics experience, which is great for everyone, I reckon.
Well, there's uh, been a couple of downsides, uh, of course, and you're there uh, in a neutral capacity as well, with an eye across the board of a lot of countries participating. But there's been uh, a positive drugs test, and this uh, for a Russian figure skating prodigy, uh, Camilla Valieva. Uh, and it's, you know, uh, the Russians again. I mean, they are the ROC because they can't be Russian. <laughs> now what? It's so funny. I mean... Oh, look, I don't, I don't want to get into trouble. Here's the thing. I do not want to get into trouble, but the kid's 15 years of age, right? I've got a I've got a 15-year-old um, child who I would love more than anything to be able to do or, um, you know, go out and perform and do a quad, which is, you know, three years ago, four years ago, it was never, ever considered that a female figure skater would ever be able to land a, a quad, which is four twists in the air prior to coming down on the ice. It was just considered impossible, like someone ever coming under a, a nine second mark in the hundred meters. No one will ever, ever do it. It's impossible, physically impossible. So she's come out, rewritten the history books, proven everyone wrong and was the star and the darling of the show a couple of days ago. Then all of a sudden it's come out that a junior member, a young member of the Russian Olympic Committee has come back with a positive testing for a beta blocker which is a heart-resting drug, which is illegal to take in curling and also in shooting at the Summer Olympics because it puts your heart rate at such a low level, you don't get nervous, you don't get anxious, and you can perform sometimes to the best of your ability. Like, it's not going to work if you're trying to run a 400 metre, that's for sure. But we're trying to remain relaxed to do something that is exceptionally technical and not get your heart rate up. It's working. Um, whether or not this is true, we're, we're trying to do a little bit of digging here and we can't comment too much on it in commentary, but it's a 15-year-old girl, Smitty, 15 years of age, mm. that apparently has come back with a positive testing. I heard from a, a friend of mine who's a commentator that she was back on the ice rink training and was all smiles. So whether or not we can get more information out of it, it will be interesting. But, you know, it's just uh, it's appalling to think that a child might be given a drug to rest her heart rate so that she can do better at the Olympics. And the reason we can't call them Russia and we call them the Russian Olympic Committee is because as a nation in the past, they've been in trouble before for doping and this is the price that they pay for it. So watch this space. It'll be interesting to see how it progresses. I'll be watching this space, all right. I'll be watching the space too uh, about Eileen Zhu. Or, uh, or oh, Eileen wow. Zhu, as you say, yeah. Eileen Feng Zhu. Now, this is interesting because uh, she's won a gold already and she's got uh, further events to go. Uh, so she'll be in the headlines again. Um, she's certainly, uh, as a, a, a current model, she's been in a movie. Um, but she split two nations, really. And this is, uh, I think, quite an interesting story. It's a great story and she split two nations and she split the commentary room as well, which is saturated with commentators from all over the globe. You've got a few commentators that are saying good on her. She's decided to go back to um, her family heritage. Her mum was born in China and her grandmother is part of a China province that has tried to saturate her with the Chinese customs. So at 18 years of age, Eileen Gould's decided to move towards that side of things and represent China rather than the United States of America. A couple of commentators that I work with, Smitty, are appalled by that decision, not because of the fact she's turned her back on the USA, but more because of the marketing opportunities that she has given herself by going Team China or the People's Republic of China. And as a result of that, through the movies, through the endorsements, through the modelling, she's had an opportunity more to make money than to spread the word. The one thing I can say about her is that I did attend the press conference after she won the gold medal.
which was a tremendous effort. I mean, the aerials that she produced there were phenomenal and, uh, you know, fully deserving of that award. But she's an exceptionally smart and articulate young woman. She was addressed and asked several questions that had political value and she handled herself with aplomb. So she's a very mature young girl. And if it's her decision that she wants to represent the People's Republic at of China at these Olympics, be it for endorsement, be it for the fact that her mother's Chinese, or be it for the fact that's what she wants to do herself, the way that she's conducting herself is very, very maturely. And I wouldn't be surprised if she continued with that decision as time went by. She was even asked about Peng Shui, who was the tennis player that accused one of the Chinese ambassadors of um, sexual assault initially, but has apparently come out under guarded, stricted instructions and being watched by the National Olympic Committee, not to mention at all anything about that incident. Well, um, Eileen was asked about that and came out and said that she didn't want to get involved too much politically, but she um, feels very pleased to have the support of Peng Shui throughout her efforts as an athlete. So she's a very smart young woman and she's heading in the right direction. She's also an Olympic champion at 18 years of age and you can't take that away from her. But she has created division in terms of the decision that she's made. In the end, she's saying to those people, to you and to me, it's my decision and I'll say and do what I want, which is really, really interesting from a teenage prodigy. Well, I mean, it's a win for China, uh, I've got to say, but it's also uh, the, the fact that they, they rolled out Peng Shui uh, alongside Thomas Bach, the Olympic president, <laughs> uh, just behind, as this girl's winning her gold medal, basically, there are uh, dual shots of those two people talking, smiling, everything. At the same time, it was like, how could you plan that, China? It was planned. That's how you plan it. It was planned. And every time you're here in, in China and you're watching international news broadcasts and all of a sudden that maybe the CNN or BBC might do a story on Peng Shui, the television will shut down and you'll get the colour bars. So the Chinese government certainly don't want you talking about Peng Shui during this Olympic winter campaign. And um, I'm sure if they were monitoring this conversation with you and I right now, Smitty, then um, the phone would be shut off as well because they don't want anyone talking about that. What they want is to make the Olympic Winter Games look like it's a, a very succinct, pretty conventional kind of place at the moment. I know that Peng Shui mm. did have an interview with a French journalist, a French reporter, um, and said that she's changed her mind on everything. But at that interview with three members of um, the Chinese government and also the Olympic Committee that were monitoring everything she was saying. So you won't hear too much more about the Peng Shui thing at the moment until the Olympic Winter Games concludes on the 20th of February, but you'll definitely hear more about it after that. As for Eileen Zhu and how she's been performing and her decision to represent the People's Republic of China, the sentimentality of that is awesome. The fact that it comes from family heritage is fabulous, but is certainly turning into a bit of a media circus in terms of representing China. Well, Lavina, it's always great talking to you, and uh, I look forward to hearing some of your riveting commentary in the days ahead i can tell you uh, actually bay of plenty are making somewhat of a recovery they're now 30 for yeah. two so uh, that might there help you get through the day a little bit better so bit worried about two that. after 10 I'd... yeah okay Great mate. Love, coast lovely coast. to talk to you lovely to talk yeah, to you smitty i miss to... you mate you're doing great yeah I, I miss you too coast to coast tomorrow so that's why we're thinking of you as well 
I've got a mate in the coast to coast. I train with her at swimming. Kirsty, she's going to do excellent tomorrow. I've heard that they've had to change the course because it's been a bit dodgy, mm. bit of bad weather. Um, what a phenomenal event that is, hey? Talk about extreme athletes, those people that can take that on. I take my hat off to them. I hope it all goes well. And uh, we take our hat off to you for your fine work and, and talking to us again this morning. So uh, I look forward to uh, your, your good work and, uh, man, you're enjoying something special over there. Uh, a little bit jealous, yes, I think it's fair to say. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers, buddy. Cheers. Uh, Lavina good there, uh, and isn't she just that fantastic? Uh, 11.21 here on SENZ. We've got some text to read out, a competition to run, and that's uh, uh, while we approach 11.30. Gosh, time's going by quickly. We'll be following those options too. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Um, we look at the text board now, and there's a couple of good ones coming here, in particular Richie uh, Smithy at the Olympics. ROC actually means Russian Olympic cheats. I'll understand if you don't read this out, Justin, Richie, as it may provoke uh, Putin sending over troops to invade New Zealand. Maybe they could join the protest at Parliament. Wow, goodness me. Um, what, what a thing that's been. What a thing that has been. Shamozzle. Uh, anyway, uh, JD, Smithy. Uh, did the two-day coast-to-coast a, f- a few years back ploughed kayak into a large rock at first decent rapid but somehow didn't puncture the hole fell out six or seven times and managed to finish although on the last part of the Waimakareli Flats I thought the marshals would take me out because it was getting too late in the day one of the hardest, most satisfying things I've done cheers uh, JD uh, Smithy watching um, uh, Auckland versus Otago. Uh, this is Ken. Glenn Phillips looking good on 35. Pity the Black Caps couldn't find a place. He's batting at three. Looks test quality. Don't mind him batting at three. He's saying, I want to take the challenge on. Um, he's, uh, I'm not saying he's uh, out of the loop, Ken. I'm just saying, uh, at the moment, uh, they preferred to go with, uh, uh, with Hamish Rutherford, uh, of course, who we spoke to yesterday, uh, and, of course, Daryl Mitchell, too, in there. Uh, what race is Tiptronic in, please? Uh, Tiptronic is in... The uh, Herbie Dyke, uh, and it is, uh, I think, second or third favourite behind um, the chosen one. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll confirm that a little bit later, but that, that is my understanding just off the top of my head. Uh, I can tell you now it's 11.30, it's coming up news time, but it's also time for you to ring 0800 150 811, please. 0800 150 811, uh, give you some uh, TAB vouchers for the weekend, and if you lose those, maybe some sleep drops to get you through as well. The all-new SCNZ is Kiwi for Sport. Making SCNZ news this hour. ACT Party leader David Seymour has labelled the government's decision to increase the minimum wage as nuts. It will rise by $1.20 on April 1st. He says fundamentally, Labour doesn't know where wealth comes from. Thousands of vaping products will be taken off shelves today as new regulations come into effect. And a man has been caught having his eighth COVID-19 booster vaccination at Johnsonville Mall. The man was receiving boosters for cash, earning $200 a pop. SCNZ Radio.NZ Sport is coming up. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. That's right, it's that time again. 50 bucks from the TAB on the line and some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive, New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. And we love it when someone new calls through and that's what we've got in Gareth from Christchurch. Good morning, Gareth. Morning, how we go? Good, mate. Good. What's uh, what's made you call this time around as opposed to other days? 
Uh, I just thought I'd give it a go. I've listened plenty of times and probably been 50-50 with whether I'd, uh, yeah, whether I'd knock them oh. off or not, so I thought I'd give it a crack. Nice, mate. Nice. So you know how it works. You get three sporting categories. You choose one, and then you get three yep. questions right, and you win everything. But you know what happens yep. if you get one wrong. Smithy gets a yep, chance absolutely. to stump you. So your categories today, rugby league, tennis, and combat sports. Quite different no, options today. Which one do you like? Definitely rugby league. Yeah. Definitely yeah. rugby league. All right. Oh. Gareth, some fresh meat. Smithy, let's go. Yep. There's a real theme with today's. I just thought with Olsen Filipina passing away yesterday, it'd be only right to know a bit more about the big O. So, first question is, which three NRL clubs did Olsen Filipina play for during his career in the 1980s? Oh, um, Wellington, yeah, historical stuff's a bit harder, let me think. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm going to be guessing, to be honest. I don't know if I'll be able to get three, but I'll, I'll try um, the Seagulls. You can keep on guessing. Uh, Parramatta. And the Bulldogs. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Not correct. Smithy, which three clubs did Olsen Filipina play for while he was over there across the Tasman? Well, Balmain, of course, uh, that was uh, the one he played for most, the Balmain Tigers. I think he played for the North Sydney Bears, uh, one of your favourite clubs, JD. Yep. But I'm battling a wee bit for the third one, so I'll take a punt and say that he played for St George. One of the worst things... I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Not correct, so you're still alive, Gareth, and you'll be kicking yourself, Smithy. Who did we have on first this morning? <laughs> oh, we had Hugh McGann on. And who course. did he play for? Roosters. Yep, yep, and that's who he played with Olsen with in 1985, one season with the Roosters. He didn't get selected a lot, um, which was a bit of a problem for Olsen during his career over there. Just the coaches didn't get him. Uh, but when he played for the Kiwis, man, he was next level. So, Gareth, you're still alive. Good news, mate. Cool. It's going to be another <laughs> another Olsen Filipina question, though. How many games, so this is including tests and tour matches, how many games did Olsen Filipina play for New Zealand? Um, oh, same thing. It's a bit of a, a, bit of a punt here. Um, I'll go... 17. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Not correct, Smithy. Uh, yeah, well, he played quite a lot actually, and because they had tours back in those days, they went on tours of the UK and that sort of. So they racked up more than they do these days. They hardly play at all these days, of course. Um, I'm going to say he played uh, over 20 tests. I think 29 tests, uh, but I also think that he, he racked up another 40 odd. Uh, I think it's around 70, John. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Bang on 50. Bang on 50 times you represented New Zealand. 29 tests, you were right there, Smithy, but 50 times. So 21 tour matches along with the 29 tests. All right, Gareth, I reckon you're going to get this one. And if you do, you get the sleep drops and the 50 bucks. Olsen Filipina's nickname was what? Uh, The big O. There you go, Gareth. First time caller and first time winner. 50 bucks from the TAB and some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive. Sleepdrops.co.nz for all ages, lifestyle stages and sleeping challenges. Read the label, take as directed. Well done to you, Gareth.
Cool, thank you. I might put it on the uh, the Maori uh, Indigenous team. I think against the Indigenous boys. I think they're they're, they're looking pretty good with their team. So uh, yeah, I'll throw it that way. Yeah, not yeah. bad. Good Both those sides I, are I, good. I, yeah, I think the uh, Gareth from memory. I had a look at that market. I'm pretty sure the Indigenous team are quite heavy favourites in that. So uh, that would be good value for money. Uh, stay on the line, mate. Yeah. Stay on the line, and uh, Brian will get your details. We'll get that uh, that money to you and the sleep drops to you just as soon as we possibly can. Well done. Have a great weekend. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. Keep up the great work. Yeah, cheers. Uh, uh, Gareth from Christchurch, good stuff. So uh, here's the thing. The big O, I, I, I prefer the galloping Garbo uh, for Olsen Filipina because the big O was also Roy Orbison, wasn't it? Yeah, oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, it was. And he, yeah, I mean, that is the big O, isn't it, globally? Um, and yeah, yeah. The, the galloping Garbo, that's, that's pretty classic. Um, but was he a galloper? The way I saw him run when I was watching highlights this morning, he's more like a steamroller, Smithy. I know. I'll tell you what, though, if he was running towards me and I was a rubbish bin, I'd be ready uh, to move it pretty quickly and, and get emptied. If I could see Olsen Filipina running down the road, goodness me. Uh, <laughs> uh, and still doing it. Well, he's still almost doing it till the day that he passed away. As Huey said, he was, uh, he was able to drive the truck eventually uh, when he got to, to that age, but only 64 years of age. Really, really sad. Uh, 11.38 here on SENZ. Mick coming up very shortly.